We knew that we were up against a very tough competitor. We knew we had no brand whatsoever in the marketplace. We knew we didn't have a budget. We didn't have the marketing dollars. So what we did was... Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Cynthia Adams, founder and corporate advisor of Grant Station, which helps nonprofit organizations identify and secure the funding they need to do their good work. Cynthia has been dedicated to this field for well over 45 years and founded Grant Station in 1999 because she believes that grant seeking requires a thorough understanding of the funders and sound knowledge of philanthropic playing field. Her life's work has been to level that playing field and create opportunities for all nonprofit organizations, regardless of size or geographic location, to, cur- to secure grant support. Cynthia serves on the board of directors of the Social Enterprise Alliance, an organization that strives to place the interests of people and the planet above shareholder gain. She also gives back to her community, serving on the advisory board of the Northern Alaska Environmental Center and doing volunteer work for numerous nonprofits, many of whom serve to protect Alaska's environment. Well, Cynthia, welcome to the show. I've really been looking forward to talking to you about the work that you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you that just talking to you um, before the show a couple of times has brought up all these um, memories and these thoughts and these ideas and actually made me delve a little bit deeper mm-hmm. into the company and why I did what I did and the challenges we faced. So I'm, I am super honored to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. So Clearly, it looks like the biggest problem that you're solving is helping people that don't know how to write grants write grants, correct? It's, it's, or not. Yeah, Yeah. it's more about um, helping, you know, individuals, nonprofits, small governments, tribal governments, educational institutions, helping Mm -hmm. them find the right grant makers to pursue. And then teaching them Mm. how to write the proposals and manage grants once they've been awarded. Mm -hmm. All that is important, and we do that. But in truth, Mm -hmm. our real mission here is to connect the person that needs the funding, the nonprofit, the organization, the tribal Mm -hmm. government, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, with the the appropriate grant maker. So that's our our job is to be that bridge, is to be that introduction. Right. And the grant maker is those who are giving out the grants, correct? Right. So funders, uh, grant makers are, they're made up of a variety of of organizations. You have your your federal and state funding sources that you make Mm -hmm. um, award grants, but you, and local government, of Mm -hmm. course, but you also have foundations and corporate giving programs. You have giving circles, which are just springing mm-hmm. up everywhere these days. Um, you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, family foundations. You have trusts that are out there. 
you have uh, just a whole variety of potential grant makers you can tap into. And for a very, very long time, it was commonly mm-hmm. felt that if you're going after a grant and actually actually it's called a proposal until it's awarded and then it's a grant. But so if you were writing a proposal to a particular funder, that that was a limited field, but it's actually quite large these days um, when you include hmm. federal and state and everything. And then we, we, um, we do international and Canadian funders as well. So we have a very broad, broad hit when it comes to potential Got grant it. makers for, for organizations. So as I said um, in your bio, you founded the company in 1999, 23 years ago, um, but you've been at it for twice, twice as many years, right? Right. So what had you, tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are today and, and really what, had, what got you interested in doing this in the first place? <laughs> well, that's, it's a long journey because I'm 72, <laughs> but um you know, I mean, it started when I was 14 and I did my first ask of a, of a potential mm-hmm. donor uh, for a, a saddle club, a horseback riding club that I belong to in Minnesota. That's fabulous. You know, so that was uh-huh. forever ago. Um, and then when I moved to Alaska, when I went to Alaska in 1971, I went up there just to help start a nonprofit organization called the Northern Alaska Environmental Center. And I just never left. And I got so wrapped up in helping that organization raise the funds they needed to do their good work that it really, um, it sort of, it was my career path. I mean, there was no, there was no option for me. My, I knew that what I was good at was asking people to give money to the projects that I felt like deserved it um, or did deserve it. And so, you know, for many years, I worked with the nonprofit uh, environmental organizations in Alaska. And then I went into public radio and television where I became a development director in Fairbanks, Alaska. And, and then when I left the public radio and television, I, um, the mayor of the Fairbanks North Star Borough asked me if I would start um, a community economic development center. And I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> I don't think any of us knew what it was. Um, we started that in the 80s. It took off. It did great things. And when uh, about eight or nine years into that, I sort of woke up one morning and I thought, you know, I could do my own business here. And so I started a small business called the Alaska Funding Exchange. And for 10 years, Mm -hmm. I worked to, I would fly into native villages all over Alaska and teach grant writing and grant seeking and how to do the research and how to Mm -hmm. put together proposals. And, you know, I slept on the gym floor and got up and taught seven people from the village how to write proposals where where English was a second language. Um, You know, it was, and I did that for 10 years. And part of that, of the work I did with the funding exchange was to develop this internal database of grant makers that I used on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then one day I thought, hmm, I could take this national, you know, I should, 
I should sell the funding exchange, pull my little database out of there and go national. And that's mm-hmm. what I did. So that was, that was the genesis of the company. Great. That was the genesis of the company. Uh, right. So, so when you initially founded it, you took about a million dollars in angel and bank loans to get it started. Um, and, and I know you've got about 60,000 members. I, do, your, do your members pay to be part of Grand Station? How do, how do you fund yourself? Well, now, uh, yeah, the members, it's a, a membership-based uh, system. So our members, you, you become a member of Grand Station for a year and you can renew or not renew. And we have a very high renewal rate. And the, that, that income from those members is what now fuels the company. Um, we did take, you know, when I started Grand Station, I had no clue, Carol. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Really, I didn't. I mean, here I was, this, this idea, um, you know, we were up against the, our only competitor at that point, which was in 1999, was the Foundation Center, which was based in New York City. It had a multiple million dollar a year budget. It was funded by grant makers from all over the country. Um, you know, we had nothing. We were uh, in a one room cabin uh, without running water, uh, 12 miles north of Fairbanks, Alaska, in the woods. It was three women. Um, we all lived in the neighborhood and we started Grant Station. And, you know, we, it's, you know, as you know, it's grown tremendously and the brand is strong, but we didn't know what we were up against. If we would have known what we were up against, we might not have done it. <laughs> but, right, right. Yeah, it was just, it was a challenge. It was a real challenge. And I didn't bring the million dollars in all at once. I really didn't know what I needed. I didn't understand the complexity of the kind of business I was trying to do. You know, a national mm-hmm. business is much different than a, a business that just served Alaska, which is what the Alaska Funding right. Exchange was. And so here I mm-hmm. was, you know, going national and not really understanding some basics when it comes to business management. I mean, I was really clueless in a few areas. Yeah. So, and, and that's, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's always something I want to talk about is, you know, leading a company like this and not having any clue. How did you learn? Was it just through expensive mistakes? Did you find mentors, you know, an advisory board? Yeah, no. Yeah. I should have done those things, <laughs> but mainly, mainly, um, it was, it was by instinct and by, you know, my gut feeling about things, I, we didn't make too many huge mistakes, which we just lucked out probably. Uh, I did have a couple of mentors. There was a, a man in New York City who ran a real estate company who was, he still is, very well known and was a friend. And I remember one day calling him up and in tears practically and saying, you know, Fred, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I, you know, I, I'm worried. I go to bed every night, just sick to my stomach because I don't think I'll have enough money at the end of the week to make payroll or to whatever it was I needed to pay rent or whatever it was. And he kind of scratched his head and he said, let's step back a couple, you know, a couple, let's take a few steps back and 
do you, what's, do you have a cash flow? And I said, uh, no, I don't have any cash flow projections. He said, okay, well, that's going to make a big difference, my dear. And he sent me to, I think it was the Wells Fargo website had a free cash flow sheet. You could worksheet, you could download you, you know, whether you're a Wells Fargo client or not. And I did that and I started using that cash flow sheet and realized I didn't have a problem and I didn't have to go to sleep every night worried. And it was, uh, for me, it was a big breakthrough in knowing that indeed I did have the money coming in to cover my expenses. I just didn't realize it. Um, so it, and I, I didn't, you know, the timing was off and I didn't understand. So it that was a big thing. So learning that kind of thing, there was a, a lot of those sort of small moments when, you know, my banker, not the banker itself that gave me the bank loan, but his assistant, um, she took me aside one day and we had coffee and she said, let me explain to you how this can work. And she explained to me how the loan could work for me, how I could best use this loan and line of credit. There was a line of credit that went with it. Just that explanation, that one-on-one hand-holding, it helped tremendously. Um, it really taught me it a lot about finances. Yeah. Cynthia, when did, you, uh, when did you all move out of the one-room cabin and into civilization to run your business? <laughs> <laughs> you mean where we had a bathroom? <laughs> Yes, where you had a bathroom and where you had running water. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. We, I think it was 2002 that we moved into we an office um, in, in a strip mall uh, in, in the back of the strip mall in Fairbanks and mm-hmm. actually hired another person or two. Got it. So that's when you started hiring people. Yeah. 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 I couldn't bring him into the hovel. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you couldn't. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so when you, you know, you said when you started, there was this, you know, this big company in New York, right? And, and of course it had all sorts of resources, which shouldn't surprise anybody hearing that. Um, you know, looking at it, looking at it now, what's the competitive landscape of what you're doing look like now? Well, now there are, that's a good question. There are now, um, besides the Foundation Center in New York City, which is still Mm -hmm. there and doing it, it does great work, by the way. It's a, it's a, it does Mm -hmm. different work than we do. Uh, We positioned ourselves Mm -hmm. so that our product and our services are significantly different than what they did and do. And Mm-hmm. And the same with our competitors these days. Um, so there's probably another... So what's that difference? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's probably another six organizations out mm-hmm. there that have sprung up over time. Some of them sprung up and then gone away. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. We, um, we here at Grand Station, most of our employees, and we have 21 now, most of our employees right. are researchers and writers. Mm. And their job is to research the potential funders and build the funding profile, which is in our database. Mm. So many, many organizations, or almost all of our competitors, if not all of them, um, 
draw their information off the websites or off the IRS 990, which is the charitable form you have to file if you're a a grant maker. And Mm -hmm. they draw that by using technology. What we do is we we review all that information, but then we build Mm -hmm. the profile um, using the information that we've gathered. So instead of, and we don't, um, have 70,000 grant makers in our database, you know, which a lot of groups do. We only profile those grant makers that are actively accepting proposals from a variety mm. of nonprofits. So if you're a little family fund mm-hmm. and you only give to the local hospital and the local United right. Way, we don't put you in the database Not because be in your database. it's just yeah. going to muck up your research if you're doing the mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm. So we try to, we really right. vet everything. And our database is really hand um, handcrafted, which is highly unusual in this, in this world. <laughs> it's really interesting. And then that way you have a much better sense of, you know, once you've got somebody looking for a grant maker, who to, who to partner them with. Exactly. You know, then, possible so grant. they can go into the database and they know that if they come up with five potential funders for a for their project, that all five of those funders are actively accepting proposals from a variety of organizations. Right. If they go into our, in many of our competitors' databases and do that same search, they might come up with 52 funders. But of those 52 funders, once they've gone through it all, it'll be those five that'll be left. <laughs> So it's basically quality, not quantity. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Yeah. So, so, um, do, is there another piece of that database of the grant maker that says this is how much they typically give away? So people know to target based on how much money they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, The profiles have everything from, um, you know, what they give to and what their average grant award is and all their application deadlines. And we have links to their website. We have links to their IRS 990, that form I just mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, so that people can mm-hmm. look at where, where they've given in the past, who's on their board. Mm-hmm. They can look all that information up. Um, we have a way for people to, we, in, in the profiles, we have their geographic giving area. Some grant makers like the Appalachian Regional Commission only gives to Appalachia. And, you know, what's right. that? Sure. And so, you, you know, we have to define the geographic giving of each particular mm-hmm. grant maker. Um, and it's, it's easier in the U.S. to do this research. And it's a little harder for our international database. We have three employees in Spain and they do um, our international, they build those international profiles and those international profiles are, are, are kind of, they're much harder to do because they don't have an, uh, a federal IRS 990 form that you can look at. They don't have, sure. a lot of them don't right. have websites, you know, so we have to contact them directly. So it's um, mm-hmm. the international database is much more, diff- has it, it's many more challenges than we, we have for, right. for the U.S. or the Canadian database. How do people find GrantStation? Are you, you know, are they just Googling it? You know, grant writing or, you know, yeah. are you doing outbound marketing? What are you doing? 
We actually, um, we actually don't do any uh, direct sales and we don't do any mark really marketing marketing. Um, we don't buy ads or something like that. What we mm-hmm. do and this, <laughs> and this was, um, you know, the brainchild that we started in 1999 when we started the whole thing, we knew that mm-hmm. we were up against, um, a lot, a very tough competitor. We knew we had no mm-hmm. brand whatsoever in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew we didn't have a budget to uh, place ads like in the Chronicle of Philanthropy mm-hmm. or the Chronicle of Higher Education or Nonprofit Quarterly. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the, the, the marketing dollars. So what we did was we created a newsletter, which we still send out today. It goes out every week. It goes out 48 weeks a year. It's called the Grant Station Insider. Um, we have 150,000, I think, subscribers to it. And then we have partners that send it out to their list as well. And that's how we started building our brand, as we would find a partner like um, uh, the Montana Nonprofit Association, right? Okay. And Montana would co-brand the insider with us. So their name and their logo was right. at the top and they're bringing you this weekly funding announcements. And then the newsletter was just full of federal and state and regional and foundation and corporate giving funding, you know, deadlines, what's coming up, what are they mm-hmm. giving to? And the popularity of the insider just it grew very, very quickly. And we have now 160 partners that's then that newsletter out. Um, it's yeah, it's yeah. It was our, it was our brainchild and it worked it, and it has still works. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we put a lot really, of well, research. And they're, and they're serving their customers by doing that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, and for everybody, it's not like, not like you, you know, it's all about me, 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 right. It's about really serving their people. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, we've been publishing that newsletter 48 times a year for the last, you know, since 1999. And I think we've had three mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the insider, we're all, all, everyone on staff is very proud of the insider. And it goes to a quite a few of us every week to review before it goes out. Um, we also vet all of the announcements the same way that we vet their profiles. So if we're going to run an announcement, um, I'll use the Appalachian Regional Commission again as an example. Um, so if the Appalachian Regional Commission has an uh, upcoming deadline, we write it up, then we send the announcement to the Regional Commission and ask them to review it. And we not only ask them to review it, make sure everything's correct, but we also ask them if you're getting a lot of grant uh, proposals, a lot of proposals in the mail, and you think this is a mistake for us to run this, let us know, and we don't run it. Because we don't want to be suggesting people apply to something when that right. plate is already overflowing. Um, mm-hmm. That comes back to the mission of Grant Station, is, which is to level the playing field. You know, we're trying to help people understand what the playing field really is and where they can fit into that playing field. Got it. So what would you say are um, some of the biggest challenges that you're facing 
within the grant, you know, within what it is that you do, not just your company, but the industry at large. And, and would you say that your competitors are facing the same challenge, challenges? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, well, I mean, I think technology, um, one of the issues that we see is that the tech, the, the tech level, and Carol, you'll understand this as well as anyone because you do this podcast and you expect people to have certain tech savvy when they when they come on and they start to talk and their and their headphones don't work or their video looks terrible or whatever it is. It does happen um, sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yes. And but we face. I think. I think our in you know, the philanthropic industry, so to speak, I, I don't like to call it mm-hmm. industry, but yeah, I think that we're facing that tech challenge because if I'm a women's clinic in South Africa, my ability to do research on a database like Grant Station, you know, I might have a computer, but more likely I just have a cell phone. Yeah. Um, you know, so how do we, how does our how do the folks mm. that are working in this field, the people that are trying to deliver this information to nonprofit organizations and educational institutions and tribal governments, et cetera, how mm-hmm. do we kind they of have limited resources? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so they're on one end of the spectrum, as a company, as a business, you want to stay on top of the challenges that are being you know, that are out there when it comes to technology. You know, how do we make mm-hmm. things work faster? How do we provide, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, how do we gather information more, um, you know, so that, that we're getting the right information, but not not diluting it or, or just using the mm-hmm. technology to gather that, but not really, you know, saying what we want to say, that kind of thing. So, you know, as as a company, you're faced with those kinds of challenges. But then, as the as the sector serving the the third, you know, the third sector, um, we're faced with the challenge of if I'm in a remote area in New Mexico, which I am, um, maybe my internet isn't so good. Maybe my technology isn't so good. Mm-hmm. If I'm in South Africa, or if I'm in you know the southern part of Spain or Ukraine. You know, what am I, what am I faced with? What are the, so you're trying to serve all these people with this information, but technology can be a real, it can be a real challenge. Um, I think that's one of the big challenges we're facing. The other one is just that the philanthropic landscape is changing so quickly. I mean, Hmm. there are a lot of people out there with a lot of money and Mm -hmm. they jump into the field and start giving away money and it can throw off, you know, what's happening across the board. So, and, Mm -hmm. and then the small nonprofit, the food bank in, you know, Detroit, um, you know, they're struggling just to get a small $10,000 grant award from their regional community foundation and then all of a sudden this big money comes into Detroit from somebody who means to do well and is doing well, you know, doing good in the community. But it throws everything off. It throws it, it, um, people have to readjust what they're doing. And, 
and I'm not making this very clear, but the, but the point is that there is a lot of big money coming into the system and it can, it can create problems with those that have traditionally gone to regular places for funding. So, you know, it's, it's confusing sometimes for people. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've always found, um, you know, there's certain types of people that do nonprofit work, right? Right. Um, and I have, you know, in my life, I have, you know, either I've volunteered, I still, I mean, I volunteer for a rescue right now that's run, I'd say, very, very well. But, you know, I've also been involved in nonprofits who are just, I mean, I don't know how to just say it any other way, but we're a total shit show, right? Right. Um. And, and I'm curious because now, now these were, some of this stuff was volunteer. And of course you've got people that you're actually paying, but you know, you, you're probably paying them less than you would if you were a for-profit, right? So how do you, how do you really find people who have the commitment to that? You know, you've got 21 employees. You mentioned three of those are in Spain right now, or, and where, where are the rest here in the United States? Yeah, they run from Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania to Alaska, you know, and Oregon and Minnesota and Missouri, and they're all over the place. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. Because we moved into the cloud in 2012. Right. So let's talk a little bit about your talent strategy, um, you know, as a company and as a nonprofit, right? You know, because I said nonprofits tend to not be able to pay as much as for profit. So, you know, how do you go about finding the people that you know are going to really truly be committed that, you know, aren't going to, aren't going to get stolen away by somebody because, you know, we can pay you 40% more. You mean for my company? Mm-hmm. Well, my, we're, we are yeah. for profit. So we oh, you well. are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason yeah. I was thinking that because you were doing work with nonprofits that made you a nonprofit also. No, my no, error. No, no, no. So, okay. No, no. Well then let's just talk about your town strategy in general. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons we moved the company into the cloud in 2012, which Mm -hmm. is way, way ahead of most companies. I mean, when the pandemic hit, we never missed a beat because we'd been in the, you know, the cloud forever. Um, One of the reasons we moved it into the cloud in 2012 was because the employment pool in Fairbanks, Alaska Mm -hmm. was was just, it was too small. Mm -hmm for mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. I needed, the caliber of researcher and writer I needed. I mean, I literally was hiring people as they got their master's degree. I was hiring them as they came off the podium. You know, I mean, it was wow. like, because I had to find really, really, you, to do the kind of mm-hmm. work that we do, you have to be detailed. You have to be a good writer, a really good writer. Mm-hmm. And you have to be a really good researcher. You you need to know mm-hmm. how to follow that lead, so that we're that mm-hmm. we're creating these profiles of grant makers in our database that are superb. You know, they're superior to anything else that's out there. So one of the reasons I moved in the company into the cloud was simply for that reason. Um, I needed to be able to hire people from other places that could sure. do the kind of the level of work that I needed and not just in research, but in, you know, our marketing in, I needed, mm-hmm. I needed a real business person. I mean, I was stumbling along, you know, doing my own thing and, and mm-hmm. I, 
I had gotten us that far, but I really needed someone who could manage the finances. I really needed somebody that was Mm -hmm. not just the woman I knew who was, you know, who did my household accounting, (laughs) you know, I needed somebody. Right, right, yeah. Right. I needed a a, a sort of to take it up a couple of notches. And Mm -hmm. so I think, I mean, if I were going to give someone advice about that is simply if you realize, I don't care where you live, if you realize that you're just not getting the quality of employee that you need, um, Mm -hmm. you know, branch out. Don't remember that people can work remotely. I mean, unless you're of course they can. you're serving coffee, unless you're Elon you know, Musk, right? <laughs> so there's a lot that can be done remotely, and yeah. and it has mm-hmm. it certainly has benefited our company. And we never lose yeah. employees or seldom yeah. lose an employee. Yeah, um, because so Tom, go ahead. No, no, please finish what you're saying. You seldom lose. I was employees just going to say because... we seldom we seldom lose an employee because. It's, they have such flexibility. And we have a mm-hmm. young man who lives in Minnesota, but spent most of the pandemic in, I think, California. He works mm-hmm. for us. He's our online education director. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now he wanted to visit his fiance's family in, in Holland. So now he's in Holland. Mm-hmm. You know, right. but he, he he doesn't miss a day of work because he's sure he can work from wherever he is, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you know it's so anyway. It, it makes a big difference if your pool becomes the the universe. <laughs> there, listen, there's no question, and that you know that's that's it's one of the really common things that that I, that other founders talk about, right? Which is that it has opened up such a pool of talent by not thinking oh, everybody's got to be in Boston. Right. Right. You know, so, so that has, that has been a huge help. Um, and I think for so many companies and, you know, listen, you're hiring adults to do work for you. You need to trust that they're going to Sorry, I gotta get rid of the cat. <laughs> to, 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 you know, trust people that they're going to do the work that they're going to do. Right. You know, right. it's not that, that they have, they have to work bankers hours. You get right. your work done, you get your work done. Exactly. And I think that, I mean, Carol, there are at least a half a dozen of our employees I've never met. Mm-hmm. Really? Face to face. Other than over Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. Other than over Zoom. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, you know. What would you say, I mean, is there, what if anything kind of bothers you about the industry that you're in? Hmm. Again, there may not be anything. No, I think, I mean, I think, I mean, that gets into the whole world of, of charitable giving. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the thing that bothers me the most is that the small nonprofit, you know, the, that local food bank or that Mm -hmm. rescue, um, animal rescue group in, you know, Boulder, Colorado, wherever that Mm -hmm. it's really tough for them to break into the grant world. And that, you know, they just, they don't, because they don't have large budgets doesn't mean they Mm -hmm. aren't doing incredible work. 
mm-hmm. and you know and shouldn't be considered and i think mm-hmm. in 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 some way the the philanthropic sector works off numbers you yeah. know how many will you serve how many you know how many students will take that backpack home you know if they're going to be hungry over the weekend um mm-hmm. it's just it, it and the truth of the matter is if you only serve 10 students those are 10 kids that need help mm-hmm. you know so to, i think it's the numbers game bothers me it always has bothered me mm-hmm. and i think it will i think that maybe maybe <laughs> there's um, some kind of light going on in the philanthropic sector around that the, the other thing that bothers me is that grant makers don't like to give general operating money to to a nonprofit organization to a school to you know a small tribal government or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they they'll give you money for special projects but oh, just yeah. to fulfill your mission they're not as likely to give you money you know so it's getting general operating money has always been a tough nut to crack why is that well i think it's because it's not sexy. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, it's sexier to build that trail than it is mm-hmm. to give the nature conservancy or whatever, um, a $10,000 award so they can just continue to do their good work. Right. Well, it, right. And, and that's, you know, I, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about the, the rescue that I volunteer for for many years, right? Uh-huh. You know, um, you know, the more money they have, the more animals we can help. Exactly. So, I mean, that seems like general to me, right? It is general. And <laughs> so, so it sort of puts them at a disadvantage. It puts them at a huge disadvantage because they're probably a mm-hmm. fairly small nonprofit. They're not, you know, they don't have millions of dollars in budget. No, we definitely and don't. they are, I think you're kind of geographically isolated to some extent. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, not like I am (laughs) or like, you know, a a native village in Alaska would be, or uh, a village in Puerto Rico would be, but you are somewhat Mm -hmm. geographically isolated and the grant makers, you know, they tend to give in, in the big cities in LA, New York, Chicago, Detroit, you know, Mm -hmm. Minneapolis, St. Paul, I mean, those, you know, Houston, those are the, that's where they, they Mm -hmm. focus their funding because it helps Mm -hmm. the most people and it's the numbers. But the truth of the matter is your rescue group is doing good work and should be supported. So how do we get that to them? You know? Yeah. Well, if anybody out there is listening, maybe they can come up with the answer to that, to solve that problem. (laughs) You know, that's that's another problem that needs to be solved. (laughs) Yeah. Yet another Um, one. Yeah. Right. Um, Cynthia, as you mentioned earlier on, you're 72 years old. What's your succession plan for your company? Well, I started it um, okay. in July. I, I basically, you know, quote unquote, retired. Um, I'm still doing work with the company. I'm still helping do strategic planning and, mm-hmm. um, you know, outreach and identifying new partners and writing articles and things like that. Mm-hmm. But my succession plan really is to what I would love to do is to have the, um, the employees buy the company. Mm. And that has been 
um, I've wanted that forever. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're kind of playing around with that concept and that idea mm-hmm. and how that might work. Now, remember, I have investors. I have 32 yes. investors. Mm-hmm. So I we can't just, you know, oh, <laughs> give it away. Well, right. No, they, need, they, they, they expect to get money back. Right. 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 And they haven't for 22 years. So it's probably about time. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. Exactly. So yeah, um, that's really interesting. So that's, I mean, that is mm-hmm. really uh, what I would like to see happen. What probably will happen is that eventually we'll buy, start, we're going to start buying investors' shares back into the company. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, depending on how the, how the staff feels, it, we may eventually turn it into a nonprofit organization. But um, that's going to take some time and some money. Yeah, I imagine you know, to make I that happen. It, it would. Yeah. I um, mean, we're very much a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little you know, bit about your you, Right. It, it, tell me a little bit. You, you know, you, you mentioned that you really have virtually no turnover. I mean, nobody has no turnover, but very, very low. Um, how do you just define your culture and what, and what causes that to be the case? Well, um, we really do have. I mean, I think we've had one person leave in the last five years. I mean, we don't, people don't leave. Right. Um, so, and they so don't leave. Why? <laughs> well, um, why not? One is the flexibility. We provide yep. a tremendous amount of flexibility. Right. Good. Two, we have, we not only, know each other as workers and we respect one mm-hmm. another as workers but we also have something we call the water cooler which is where you can go to say oh i just saw a great movie or i just read a great book mm-hmm. or you know did you guys see this holiday holiday guide for green you know green gifts or whatever and so it's a place where people can talk and socialize they do right. it all the time all day long every day and I love it. most of them have never met one another, you know, from Spain to Alaska. I mean, they just haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Another part of it is we try to put as much money as we can into our staff salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to give cost of living increase, which about killed mm-hmm. us last year. Oh, my God. I'm sure. And this year. Yeah. yeah. yeah and this year it's going to be even worse. But um, for mm-hmm. the company. But uh we try to give cost of living increases, but we mm-hmm. also try to give regular bonuses. Um, mm-hmm. If the if somebody does, if someone has a problem, uh, a health problem, or a death in the family, or a death with a pet, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, everybody there's sort of an outpouring of support, and mm-hmm. people send gifts to one another, and it's just mm-hmm. very, it's a very very sweet um, kind wonderful. of culture that we that we've um, cultivated and. People feel like they can talk to us about anything. And the mm-hmm. other really big thing, and this is huge, Carol. Mm-hmm. This is huge. If you hire someone to do a job, so you hire mm-hmm. a researcher. I hire a researcher. They can research, they can write and edit, and they can, you know, they they um, they know how to build the profile in our database. They're a researcher. Mm-hmm. Their job is to do keep that database updated and add new funders and all day long every day. But then you find out that that person also um, on the side maybe does interviews 
for an arts magazine. Mm -hmm. And you say, hmm, you know, so you say, would you like to write blogs for us around the topic of arts? Um, Would you like to do interviews for us? I have an interview coming up with so-and-so. Would you like to do that interview for me? And what we do is we, we look, we watch for their, their skills Mm, and where they really blossom. And we build on those. I love it. So that they aren't just doing those profiles day in, day out ad nauseum, you know, Mm -hmm. because it can get real old, very tedious, Mm -hmm. but they're also writing a blog or they're writing an article. In some cases Mm -hmm. we found out they've had good technical skills. So they've helped with um, layout or design of Mm -hmm. a new page, Mm -hmm. or they help with the technology behind the scenes with the database. Um, Mm -hmm. What we've done is we've really tried to take people's skill sets and and use them so that they're not only doing what they've been hired to do, but they're doing what they love to do. Yeah, that's and really important. Is and, and are you asking them what they want to do, or are they telling you, "I'd like to do this," or is it a combination of both? No, yeah, they they don't usually tell us. We, I don't think we've ever had that happen. But <laughs> we watch. You know, we, yeah. we're all watching, and we say, "Hey, you know what, David." Uh, does a lot of uh, tech for his friends. You know, he'll chat on chat. He'll say, yeah, I was at my friend's house last night and I did X, Y, Z. And you think, hmm, mm-hmm. wait a minute. So then we might contact David and say, hey, do you want to help out with this tech project we've got going? Or we yeah. might hear that uh, someone is um, really good at uh, uh, talking on the phone, right? And at, at one of our researchers is really good at talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we realized that this person could also be part of customer services. Got it. And we say, That's- would you like to do customer services one mm-hmm. day a week, mm-hmm. you know, or two hours every morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of tapping, being aware and tapping into the skill sets of, and the interests of our employees. Right. Right. And I think they appreciate it. I do. Of course they do. Um, do you have any, I mean, like I said, you were, we've talked to you about 21 employees. Do you have any growth plans to increase that over the next year? Yeah, good question. We, um, <clears throat> we are deep into developing a three to five year strategic plan. Um, we do have a pretty okay. big plans about mm-hmm. expanding um, I, I really want to ex- particularly want to expand the international database mm. and somehow we need to come up with a, a funding, a financial strategy mm-hmm. so that we can deliver that international database to nonprofits in third world countries at no cost. Right. Right. Oh, fabulous. So, yeah. So, so it, that's one of the things we're looking at. Another Great. thing we're looking at, which would greatly expand what we do, is we're thinking about doing a, a conference, um, mm. a virtual conference, of course, mm-hmm. um, online in, you know, 2023 or 2024. Oh, we just have so many contacts and so many partners across mm. the country um, and throughout the world that we could really do some great stuff. One of the things we've done, Carol, is we are adopting the UN um, Sustainable Development Goals. Hmm. 
if you haven't looked at them, do. They yeah. are, it's just brilliant. I mean, they're, it's brilliant. There's 17 okay. sustainable development goals. And we're, because we really hit on every one of those, every level of those with mm. the nonprofits that we work with and the charities mm-hmm. we work with, um, where that will be the, would be the theme of the conference and it'll be the theme of Grant Station as we grow it, it forward. Um, so that's kind of okay. where we're at. But yeah, we have some pretty, be good, significant development ideas. Okay. So that said, if somebody listening to this podcast um, is thinking, oh gosh, I'd love to get involved and work for this company, what should they do? <laughs> um, you know, I think, I mean, seriously, we get people that apply to us and if they look really, really good, we find a place. Right. Um, because so how, so how do they reach you? Of, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, Cynthia.Adams at GrantStation.com. There you so go. So Cynthia.Adams well. at GrantStation.com. And they're more than welcome to email me. And, you know, not just about places to work, but mm-hmm. if they're in a nonprofit organization and they have questions around the around grant seeking, um, I'm more than happy to help out in any way oh, that good. I can. And I do. And I love to do it. I work with awesome. many, many um, nonprofits across the country and helping them kind of develop yeah. their grant-seeking strategy. So I'm open to that, Carol. Well, it's a mitzvah. So uh, <laughs> with that said, uh, Cynthia Adams, founder and corporate advisor of Grant Station, thanks so much for being with me. It's just really been a fun conversation and, and, and I've learned a lot. Thank you, Carol. And thanks for doing this. I, I've been listening to some of your previous podcasts and I'm I'm really impressed. I really want to see more people tapping into it. So we're going to promote it through Grand Station. We appreciate it. Okay, Cynthia, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.